Father, would it be that you'd speak to us tonight? Your name and renown are the desire of our hearts. Our souls wait for you in the night. Our spirits yearn for you in the morning. Would it be that you'd speak to us because we've come here to meet with you? We're not satisfied to just hear me talk. We want to hear your voice, Lord. And yet we're not, what happens here tonight is dependent on how badly we want to hear you, not just on what I do. And so, Lord, would you open our hearts, would you open our minds to understand you, and would you change our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, guys, if you remember, we're going through the book of Luke, and if you don't have a Bible, then I'll get you one. And if you do have a Bible, then please open it to Luke chapter 22. This is a historical account, account by a great historian who wrote about the life of Jesus. And where we are is in just the, we're in the last, the last hours before Jesus is put to death. We're in Luke 22, and Jesus is in the Garden of Gethsemane on the Mount of Olives. And I want you guys to see a picture of that. It's a picture that um, we took a few years back when we were there. That's not, that, that's not the picture. Um, it's coming. But right across um, the, the valley from Jerusalem is the place where this is happening. So let's look at verse 47 of Luke chapter 22. Well, he was still speaking. A crowd came up. Last week we talked about prayer. Remember Jesus was praying and he asked his disciples to pray with him and he was disappointed that his friends weren't committed enough to his cause to pray with him. So while he's still speaking about this, a crowd came up and the man who, who was called Judas, one of the twelve, was leading them. He approached Jesus to kiss him. Remember, this is a cultural thing. If you guys have been in the Middle East, they, they kiss on the cheeks, okay? So that's, this, is, this is the equivalent in our culture of a handshake, okay? So he approaches Jesus to kiss him, but, but Jesus understands what's, what's going on. He says to him, Judas, really? You're betraying the Son of Man with a kiss? Come on. Verse 49, when Jesus' followers saw what was going to happen, Jesus' followers, the 11 and the others who are with him, they, they look around, they realize that Jesus is about to be arrested, and they're like, Lord, do you want us to strike with our swords? Remember, they had two swords. We talked about that a couple weeks ago. And one of them struck the servant of the high priest. Who was the guy that struck the servant of the high priest? Peter. And what's the name of the servant of the high priest? It's not written here, but in one of the other gospels, it's Malchus. So Peter hits Malchus on the ear, cutting off his right ear. But Jesus answered, no more of this. Cut it out. And he touched the man's ear and healed him. Then Jesus said to the chief priests, the officers in the temple guard and the elders who had come to him, am I leading a rebellion that you come to me with swords and clubs? I was like, really? Is it? We got two swords. What are you guys worried about? Every day I was with you in the temple courts, and you didn't lay a hand on me then. But this is your hour. I know what you guys are like. You guys got to do your things in the dark. This is your hour when darkness reigns. Okay, who are the people in the story? Who are the people or groups of people in the story? There's seven of them. Who are they? Quick. Jesus? Judas? Disciples? Yeah, Peter, Peter's one of the disciples. The crowd? Who is in the crowd? Huh? Who is in the crowd? People. Yes, I want people. Thank you, Bethany. Okay, who's in the crowd? It says right here. Huh? Okay, Malchus. Who else? Yeah, the, it says high priest. They're actually Sadducees. Um, who else? Temple guards? And Malchus, yeah, the servant with the bad ear. Okay, I think that's it. Okay, so what I want you guys to see tonight from this story, of course, every time I'm, I'm teaching, I'm asking, God, what, what is it from this account that we can use to change the lives of college students in 2018? So what I want you guys to see tonight is there's all these people at this same place because all of them 
have an agenda. Every one of them has an agenda. And every one of them has an agenda that is being threatened. And what I want us to see tonight is how each of these groups of people respond to the threat. The threat to their agenda. That is how they respond to people who are standing in their way. And I, was to, I want us to look at these different groups of people, and hopefully what's going to happen tonight is we're going to learn from how they respond, how we should respond when people threaten us. Okay? You guys understand where we're going in the next 20 minutes? Okay. So I want you guys to think, what, what has been the hardest thing in your life? Job? How many the hardest thing in your life was job? How many thing, hardest thing in your life was a class you took? How many, how many was the hardest thing in your life was... What? An email you got. Okay. What was the, okay. Oh, leaving. Okay, leaving. Well, how many of the hardest thing in your life was a pet that died or a person that died? Here's what I want to tell you guys was the hardest thing in your life. If it, has, if it hasn't been the hardest thing in your life yet, it will be by the time you get older. The hardest thing in your life is people. It's not calculus or some sport that you took up. You guys are laughing because you know it's true. The most difficult thing is going to be people. And here's the deal. It's not just you people in this room who have the hardest thing in your life as being people. That's the world's problem. I mean, there's lots of talk about all the problems in the world. I mean, if I was to ask you, what's the biggest problem in the world? You guys would be like global warming or rising of the sea levels or national debt or, or something like that. You know what the biggest problem in the world is? I don't know. how Those things are problems. And I don't know how we're going to solve those problems. I don't know how the leaders of the world think that we're going to solve those problems without Jesus. But all those problems aren't anything compared to the biggest problem. The biggest problem in the world is people's feelings about other people. They don't like the other people. That's the biggest problem. And, and if you, as we, as we look at this, we say, okay, what are we supposed to do about that? If you ask the world what we're supposed to do about that, if you ask pop culture and you ask the therapists and the counselors of the world what we're supposed to do about that, what they're going to say is this. They're going to say, well, people are basically good and they all really want to get along and so we just need to help them understand the way that each other feels and understand how each other thinks and we need to help men understand how women are and women how men are and races how other races are and then if we could just all understand each other, we could all get along. And you guys... Clark says, yeah, right, because, the, because even though it's true that we should understand each other and part of the problems of the world are because of miscommunication, the reason that we can't get along isn't because we don't understand each other, but because people don't want to get along. Because the truth is that people are actually find satisfaction in despising other people, if you guys haven't noticed. There are people at your work and maybe in your families, and maybe in your house, and maybe here at the Cornerstone, who find satisfaction in feeling like they're better than other people, and they truthfully, even though they wouldn't admit it, don't want to just get along. And here's the proof of it, okay? You guys want the proof of it? Okay. I want you to, to do something that I normally wouldn't ask you to do, but for the point of this, I want you to think about the person that you have had the most trouble Forgiving. Nikki mentioned a little bit of this a little bit earlier. Think about the, those people in, the, in your life who have caused you the most extreme pain. Okay? Think about that person. Think about the person that has, the people who have stuck knives in your back. The people that you, more than anybody else, wish that they'd get what they deserve. Okay? You got their face in your mind? Okay? <laughs> good. <laughs> you're, you're, you're good. Okay. Now imagine this. Imagine that you had a button that you could push. 
if you push that button, all the bad memories of how bad they were to you would disappear forever. You'd never have another thought about the bad thing they did for you, and instead, you'd have warm feelings toward that person. What's that? You need that button. Okay, I want you guys to think about it. So here's the question. If there was such a button, and you got that person's face in your mind, and you could push that button and fix everything, how many of you would push the button? Because some of you would. And some of you wouldn't. And the people who say they would, the only reason that you guys say you would is because Jesus has done a work in your heart. I'm serious. Because if you ask the people of the world who have never had a reset from the Holy Spirit of God, if they would push that button, they're saying, no way. Or at least no way until they, until they get what they deserve. If they get what they deserve, then I'll push it. Okay, you're more, he's, he's getting, you're, you're, you're four steps ahead of me. Yeah, okay. Woo. And, and truthfully, guys, when we forgive, we don't forget what they did. In fact, forgiveness is part of every time that those memories come back, and those memories do come back, the tapes play, and you say again and again and again, we forgive. I forgive. Jesus forgave me, and there's nothing that that person has done to me that's anywhere near as bad as what I've done to Jesus. Right? So we can forgive, and we forgive as we remember. But the, 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 the question is, that, that I've got for the world is, do you want this relationship to be healed? Or do you enjoy hating other people? And even though people might not admit it, so much of the problems of the world is that people deep inside really don't want to get along. What ought to set you guys apart from the rest of the world, what ought to make Christians different from all the rest of society, is that you guys are the people who, whatever somebody's done for you, the, the proof of God's grace in your life is that you should be able to say, whatever that person has done to me, I release them. I let them go. Okay, so from this story, what I want us to learn is how we can handle difficult relationships, situations where people stand in our way. And I want us to look at, the, these, at four of the groups of people in this story so we can learn how they handled conflict, okay? You guys see where we're going? Okay, first group of people that I want you guys to see is... Notice the chief priests, the officers of the temple guard, and the elders. In verse 52, it says that. Okay, what's that group's agenda? That group, what is it? Get rid of Jesus. 
They want to get rid of Jesus. What, they want Jesus dead. Why do they want to get rid of Jesus? He's in the way. They've got an agenda and he's getting in the way. Now, do you think, like all the pop psychologists say, do you think that really they want to they value what he values? And if they could, think about this. If they could push a reset button to make everything right between them and Jesus, do you think they'd want to push it? No way. What's in their hearts? Their motivation is not harmony with Jesus. The motivation in their hearts is not understanding and tolerance of people who have opposing opinions. Their motivation is domination. Their motivation is their own pride. It's revenge. Remember, Jesus did lots to make them irritated. Every time that he had an argument with them, remember who won? <laughs> Think of how they felt. I mean, you guys know the way you feel about people like that, right? It's like, no way. Okay? So they're, 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 they're looking at Jesus as somebody that they want to hurt, to blame. Okay, so what's their style of dealing with people who they have conflict with? And I want, I want you guys to write down a word that describes this group, and the word is passive. Okay, these guys are passive. Okay, you guys know what passive people are like, right? Okay? When it, when it comes to conflict, passivity or passiveness is a person who conflict comes, and what do they do? We talked about this in premarital counseling, right? Some of you guys. Okay. Uh, what do they do? They're like, they pretend to let it go, right? Do you guys know people like that? It's like they, they just got, they, something just happened in the kitchen, and they act like it's no big deal. But they don't, they're not forgiven. They pretend to forgive, maybe, but they act like, this, oh, it's okay. But what happens? There's offense in their heart. And that grows, and it grows, and it grows, and it's stored up. And that's what these religious leaders did. Every time that Jesus did something they didn't like, you notice they didn't, they didn't, Jesus says, you guys didn't even say anything when I was in the temple courts. They were passive. But they were not forgiving. And it grew and grew and grew, and finally tonight they come to the garden, and they're going to try to put him to death. Some of you guys, some of you guys handle conflict passively. I know. You, you just let it go. But you, you guys notice people who are my age, who you can see the resentment of the years on their face? And I just want to warn my friends here, you guys, that if you just let pretend to let things go and pretend to forgive, that those seeds of resentment will pile up and pile up in your hearts. And by the time you're my age, it will show. And you'll still be polite. Shake hands. Nice to see you. Hope you have a nice afternoon. But the, but the expression on your face will show the truth of what's going on in your heart. Okay, that's the first group. Second group of people, the second person is Judas. Okay, what's his agenda? What's Judas's agenda? He wants some money, but I think, listen, I think he wants some money. But I think he wants more money. He, wa he wants some political prestige. Some political advancement. Remember, he joined Jesus' campaign because he hates those Romans. And Jesus promised that he was going to put them, them 12, ruling over the 12 tribes of Israel. And he's like, I like that. Remember? And now it doesn't look like Jesus is going to be able to get him to where he wants to be. And so he's like, well, if, he can't, if I can't use him to get where I want to be, let me try the other guys. And he goes to them. And so he's using these people 
to try to get what he wants. Now, do you think he wanted to have a good relationship with Jesus? Do you think that if he could have pushed the button, like the reset button, and had fuzzy feelings about Jesus, that he would have pushed it? Remember, he was offended. We talked a few weeks ago about his offense. He's offended at Jesus. He's offended at the Romans. He's offended at the disciples. And now his chance to pay back. His goal is not mutual understanding and better communication between the two, two opposing groups. His goal is personal advancement, and he's justified by this sense of justice. I deserve this. I deserve to be treated better. And in his mind, he hasn't done anything wrong. You guys notice that when people do things wrong, nobody's sitting in jail is like, oh, yeah, I was so bad. Every time that I've, I've visited people in jail, they're telling me how either they didn't do it or they did it because, and they justify themselves. And so this is what Judas is doing. So what's Judas's style of dealing with the person that he's in conflict with? Here's what I, here's what I want you guys to see. Judas is also passive. But Judas has passivity plus pretense. You guys know what pretense is? I think that's how you spell it. Judas is pretending. Notice how Judas pretends. He's pretending to be Jesus' friend. He pretends that he doesn't have an agenda apart from Jesus. And he goes to these people who have more power than he does to try to get them to accomplish what he wishes that he could do. But since he can't do it, he gets them to do it. And then he shows up in the garden and kisses him. And, so, and I know the way you guys think. is like he walks in with all these guards and all and kisses them. Guys, Mount of Olives is right across from Jerusalem. There's 100,000 visitors in Jerusalem at this time. There's people all over the place. So Judas arrives with these, with the, these people who are about to arrest Jesus. But he tries to do it in a way that he doesn't look like he's really with them. He walks up, and it's like, you know, in our, in our culture, but hey, bro, what's up? You know, shake the hands and act like everything's cool. Well, these guys are watching, and they come up and arrest him. So he's pretending to be Jesus' friend. He's pretending that he's not really using these people with more power than him to do his work. You guys know people like that? It's like they're passive, and they pretend to be your friend. It's like, everything's cool, man. Everything's cool. And then what do they do? They go find the person who's got more power than they do. They find the pastor or the teacher or the boss at your job and tell me or the boss what their friend did wrong because they want me or the boss or the professor to do the dirty work for them. And then they're back down like, hey, man, what's up? It's, everything's cool, right? You guys know what I'm talking about? Don't deal with conflict like that, please. Okay, third group of people. Third group of people is Jesus' followers. Jesus got at least 11 followers there. Maybe he's got lots of people following him. What is their agenda? They, they want to fight for Jesus. But, but, but what, what are they trying to accomplish? In the, if they're going to fight for Jesus, what are they trying to accomplish? What's that? Freedom from the Romans. Setting up Jesus' kingdom. They want safety for themselves. Are those good things? They're good things. Guess this is what I want you to understand. They have good motivation. They have a good agenda. But the way that they are planning to carry out their agenda is not the way that Jesus would. You guys notice that? 
Do they like the Romans? No. Do they like the chief priests? No. If they could push the reset button, you think they'd do it? No way. No way. They wouldn't push the reset button. What's in their hearts is building Jesus' kingdom, but they want to do it their way. And we see that they want to do it their way because they pull out a sword and whack the guy's ear off. Okay, so this is the word that I want you guys to remember about Jesus' followers, okay, in this confrontation, is they're aggressive, right? Almost. Okay, I don't got a very big board. I'd love a big board. Okay. Aggressiveness. You guys know what aggressiveness in conflict is, right? Okay? I mean, look, look, what, look, what, look at verse 49. When Jesus' followers saw what was going to happen, they said, Lord, should we strike with our swords? And before he answers, they're like, whack. Ouch. Okay? Okay, Aggress- when it comes to conflict, aggressiveness is somebody saying, I know, what I, I know the way that the world should be, and you're not making it that way, and I'm going to make you make it that way, or you get out of my way, and I've got a gun or a sword or some gossip or a fist that's going to teach you how to do it. So don't get in my way. That's aggressiveness. Actually, there's, I've got, a, I got a, about a 20-second video. Go ahead and show that video. My son sent this to me today. And he said, Dad, look what happens at my, my high school. Alfred High School. It's a great school, so I shouldn't be showing you. Okay, that's enough. That's all we need. Okay. How many of you guys went to public school? Okay. Do you guys know people like that? You know, you know people like that. Are you a person like that? No, not me. Not me. Not me. Okay. Okay, fourth style. Fourth, 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 fourth way of dealing with conflict that I want you guys to see is how Jesus handles conflict. What is, what is Jesus' agenda? He's got an agenda, right? What's his agenda? His his agenda is to establish his kingdom. And the way that he's going to establish his kingdom is by laying down his life. Everything that he wants, he lays it down. He's the only one in this whole story who actually cares about what other people feel. He's the only one in this story who actually cares about the other people. I want you guys to see how he deals with conflict. Look at verse 48. Verse 48. Jesus comes to kiss him, and Jesus says, he asks him a question. Notice this. He asks him a question. Judas, are you betraying me with a kiss? And then down in verse 51, Jesus says, just look at, look at how he handles the conflict. No more of this. And he touched the man's ear and healed him. And then he talks to the people who are, who are confronting him, who have come to kill him. And, he's, and he talks to them with truth, but clearly, gently, but clearly, specifically, and says, am I leading rebellion? He makes them think. That you came to me with swords and clubs. He doesn't avoid them. Every day I was with you in the temple courts. And you guys were so passive, you wouldn't lay a hand on me because you were scared of the people. Why didn't you do it? If you, if you wanted to kill me, why didn't you do it then? Okay. The word for Jesus, the word that I want you guys to remember, is Jesus isn't passive. He's not pretensive. I don't know, pretensive words. Um, he's not aggressive. Okay, here's the word that I want you guys to remember, because this is our standard. Jesus is our example. And those of you who have done pre counseling with me know the word. What is it? 
<laughs> you don't remember? <laughs> oh, man, you still want to get married? No, just teasing. Okay. It's, it's, what's that bad? Assertive, thank you. Assertive. Okay, so right here, assertive. Sorry, Mary. Sorry, sorry, sorry. Okay. You guys know what passiveness, you guys know what aggressiveness is. This is the word that I want you guys to learn, is assertiveness. Assertiveness is the ability for you to ask another person for what it is that you need or to tell them the truth in clarity and gentleness. Not attacking them, not ignoring them, not trying to hurt them, but helping them to see the truth. And Jesus is the master of this. That's Jesus' style. Does that make sense? And why don't we do this? We don't do it because usually we're way more concerned about the agenda that we're trying to accomplish than we're about the, we are about the people who are in our way. Jesus cared about the people who were in his way. The people who were standing against his kingdom. He cared about them. And so he's, he didn't back down, full of courage, not backing down, never fearing, speaking the truth in love to people who hated him. So what about us here at the Cornerstone? You guys have evil standing in your face every day. You got people standing against you. You got the world trying to destroy your lives. Some of us are like, just let me get away. Let me get to the Cornerstone before I have to face all these bad people. <laughs> and some of us, sad to say, act like the world in trying to fight with our own strength. Here's my invitation to you guys. Let's be like Jesus in all of our dealings. In the at the Cornerstone here, you know what? We got a bunch of imperfect people here at the Cornerstone. That means, that means anytime you get two, two imperfect people in the same room, if they're there long enough, there's going to be conflict. Those, how many of you guys live in our, our discipleship program? Okay. We got 32 students in our discipleship program. Yeah, and, and they can all tell you that part of the program, part of the program, actually maybe the major part of the program is learning how to deal with irritating people. Because the guys, for every guy that's there, there's nine really irritating other guys. Right? And for in our girl's house, what's that? Except for Etika. Etika's not irritating. That's right. That's right. That's right. Thank you. Thank you for clarifying. You know what the, the discipleship houses are about? It's training for life. Training us how to respond to people who are so irritating, who don't do the things that we want, who stand in the way of our agendas, because you know what? That's what that your, the rest of your life is going to be. Unless you want to move to up in the mountains and live all alone. If you guys want no conflict, then you don't want relationships. Because to have relationships is to have conflict. Okay. It's 9 o'clock. Can, can I have five more minutes of your time? Because I want, I want, I love you guys. Thank you. Okay. So this, this is what I want to um, ask you guys to do. How, how we should respond to situations. Because we, tomorrow, guess what? Tomorrow there's going to be some situations here in the kitchen. It always seems to happen in the kitchen. A few years ago, it was that room up there. You guys remember? It was anybody around a few years ago? We had that room up there. And it was like every two days somebody had to come down to my office and tell me about something that was happening in that room. Okay. Here's the deal. Let's look at Galatians 6 real quick, okay? And here's the, the, the directive for us and how we should respond. To Galatians 6. Galatians 6, 1. You got that up there? Galatians 6 says this. 
Brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in a sin, you who are spiritual should restore him gently. How many of you guys, how many of you guys have seen people caught in sin? Okay, what it doesn't say is come and tell the pastor. If you see somebody caught in sin, please tell Steve. Why didn't Paul write that? It says, you should restore him gently. That means you. That doesn't mean Logan or Steve or just your house. That means you. But here's the deal. You've got to be really, really careful. Notice what it says? First of all, it says gently. Okay? And the best way to do it gently, I think, is you ask a question. You say, I mean, I've, ta- I've taught you guys this before. You ask, when you see somebody take food that wasn't theirs out of the, out of the fridge in your, in your houses or here, you don't say, you bonehead, what are you doing stealing food? That's, what you, that's, that's this side, okay? The, the, passive, the passive pretense side is that you sneak in and take their food when they're not watching, okay? Jesus style is you put your arm around them and say, hey, can I ask you something? What's the question? No, no, no. No, you, you, come on, you guys, you guys have heard me before. What do you say? Yes, that's it. Do you think it's okay to take food that doesn't belong to you? Do you guys hear the question? That's the way you do it. Because you're not accusing them. You're not slamming them. You're not ignoring it. You're making them incriminate themselves. Because what are they going to say? Yeah, I think it's okay. They're not going to say that. What they're going to say is, no, I guess it's not. They say, okay, just want to make sure you knew. That's how we restore them gently, okay? Okay? But watch yourselves. This is Paul, Paul says, you guys got to watch yourself or you may be tempted. Okay, what's the warning? You need to be really, really careful because... In your effort to try to make them into good people, you might be tempted to what? Steal the food yourself? You might be, yeah, the temptation is to, be, to get angry, but the greater temptation, here's what I think the greater temptation is, guys, self-righteousness. Right? I would never do that. Or talking to somebody, gossip, telling David, David, I can't believe it. You'd be glad you don't live with all these guys. They never, they do my, you guys know what I'm talking about? Okay? Watch yourselves, my friends. Watch yourselves, or you will be tempted to fall into sin, and the sin is pride and gossip and anger. There's lots of sin that you might fall into. Okay. And the, the remedy for that is this. Verse 2. You guys carry each other's burdens. You carry each other's burdens. You don't ignore it. You don't slam them. You carry their burdens. And by doing that, you what? What does it say? You fulfill the law of Christ. What's the law of Christ? Love. The Old Testament had how many laws, William? 613 laws. How many laws you guys got? You really got one law. Your law is to love people and God. Love God first because you can't love people without loving God. And you can't love God without loving people. You thought you could, and I know that some of you try and you worship Jesus and all and all, and then you go up and treat people like dirt. You know what? You only love God as much as the person that you love the least. You've heard me say that before. Okay? You can't love God and treat somebody else like this or like this. Okay? If the greater your love for God, the more you're going to do what we're talking about here. You fulfill the law of Christ. You have a law. The law of Christ is to love him and love the people. If anyone thinks he's something, look at verse 3. If anybody thinks he's something, when he's nothing, he deceives himself. Why, why is Paul saying this here? Because so many of you think you're the spiritual police. 
In fact, if we had name badges, I'm not picking on any one person. I just, like, Steve Hedlund. Jesus police. You know, I, I'm, my, job, my job is to make sure that nobody gets out of line. Okay? That's not my job. I, it's, it's all of our jobs. We look out for each other. We look out for each other. If anyone thinks he's something, when he sees something, he deceives himself. Each one should test his own actions. Look at verse 3. Again, if anybody thinks he's something, he's nothing, he deceives himself, each one should test his own actions. Then he can take pride in himself, comparing himself to somebody else. That, the whole idea there is not thinking I'm so great because I never take food out of there. For each one should carry his own load. Okay, here's what I want to ask you guys. Look at verse 2. Carry each other's burdens, it says, right? And then, and then verse 5 says each person should carry his own load. Doesn't that, see, we told you the Bible contradicts itself. Is that contradictory? Here, you guys, stay, stay with me for a second. Verse 2 says, carry each other's burdens. Verse 5 says, each person should carry his own load. What's the connection there? What? You do both. How do you do both? You take care of others, but you don't think that you've got to be the Holy Spirit in their life. You let them take responsibility of what God has given them and learn from their own mistakes. And stop thinking that you have to micromanage everything that they do. Okay? Now this, hey guys, we're, I'm talking about this tonight because we got a great community here. You know why we got a great community here? Because I think so many of us have learned this. Some of us are newer and haven't quite learned all this yet. That's okay. We're all gentle. We're, help, we're gently helping you to learn how to follow Jesus. That's what we're talking about this tonight. Okay. Jesus is doing something amazing in this group. Jesus did something amazing. The Holy Spirit touched a bunch of people last Sunday night. The proof of what he did in your hearts last Sunday night is not how fuzzy you feel this next Sunday night. It's proved by this stuff that we just talked about. The way that you treat the people that you live with, the way that you treat the people at the Cornerstone, the way that you treat your mom and dad and little brother and big sister, and the way that you treat your boss and the people over there. You are responsible for representing Jesus to this world. Are you guys going to do it? Let's do it. Okay, guys, let's stand up and let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for what you're doing in my life and for teaching me how to follow you and for teaching my friends here how to follow you. And we know that you're not done with us yet and that you're so gentle in your teaching, so gentle in your love. And so, Lord, we're asking that through, through what you've shown us tonight about how to respond, that, that each one of us would respond speaking the truth in love and that love would be our greatest aim. That, knowing, that loving you and loving the people that you died for would be our greatest aim, not just trying to get them to do the right things. So we offer ourselves to you, oh Lord. Would you keep preparing our hearts for greater anointing, the kind of thing that you did this past Sunday night. Lord, we just want to see it every night and every day and every morning, that this place would be filled with your glory and that the, the glory of the Lord would spread from here all over the earth, that the glory of the Lord would be, would be shown across the world because of what you're doing at the Cornerstone. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.